got ourselves an update, a Neuralink update. This happened, I guess, over the weekend or maybe just after we were here on Friday. I don't know. When did this happen? Friday. Friday. He oh. does the, he did a whole presentation. There were pigs. Mm -hmm. You had pigs. That's when you know it's real. Mm. That's how you know when the science is actually happening, when the pigs show up. Yeah. Or the mice, the trials on the mammals. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting closer to the human. Because we're not all that different than pigs, to be honest with you. We're pretty close. I think we, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, more advanced, more beautiful, more intelligent. We just walk on two legs. That's about it. Yeah. You know, that's the main difference. That's all it is. It's all the difference, really. That's all it took. Yeah. Anyway, they got brains. Those pigs got brains and uh, they're, they have complex brains like we do. Mm hmm. And so they started their their trials on well, there's there were three pigs present, no one no Neuralink pig, one Neuralink no longer Neuralink pig, and one current Neuralink pig, and they had them all there, and for the first time they showcased a live feed of the Neuralink pig's brain activity during the presentation, which. Elon seemed very enthusiastic about. They also talked about this new robot that they are designing to aid in the installation of this module. They also talked about how they've sort of changed their approach. Because if you recall originally, Will, the device was mounted somewhere behind the ear. Mm. And now it appears that they've decided sort of more on the upper part of the skull and that there will be a little section of your skull. Really? There's a tiny section, Will. Don't get, don't get too uh, worried here. They're just going to carve out just a little tiny circle out of your yeah. skull. Come on. To and, make room. And if they do it right, there's no blood. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Be, you see, you'd be surprised, you know, the brain tissue and yeah, the, yeah. if you do it correctly. Uh, I have to say, the, the carving out of the coin-sized section of the skull... No, I listen. I'm a I'm a tech enthusiast, so I remain open-minded. Uh, <laughs> Come on. I got it. I got it. I didn't even mean it. It just sometimes that just happened. But you start taking a coin, a skull out of your head and I think at least at first people are going to be a little bit resistant mm -hmm. and a little bit apprehensive. That's the word I'm looking for. Anyway, of course, we've heard all the claims about this thing and all the potential applications for something like this. It's a lot of theory right now. It's a lot of promise right now, starting with treatment for certain conditions, mm -hmm. which would make sense. That would be an area you'd want to target initially because you counteract some of the apprehension. For a person who may be suffering or hoping to fix something, they're willing to try a lot of things. Yes, health. Health reason. Health. And you feel that the threshold for risk is a bit different than in a human who isn't in search of some sort of remedy. Mm. That person, on the other hand, where it's more, I want superhero powers. I want to enhance my sense of, what were they suggesting earlier on? Hearing or something like this. Mm -hmm. That 
customer, that eventual commercialization has to come down the road because it almost feels too early for that. It's not the natural place to start. Now, one thing that came out of me from this pre- uh, came out to me from this presentation is that there's not that much yet. Okay. No. They're trying to figure out this actual physical device, the installation of this device, these uh, little strand, this cabling that's as thin as a human hair. Yep. And okay, and now we can extract some information from uh, some brain activity, which is what they showcased. But as far as interpreting it, that's where the magic comes in, Will. Interpreting it and potentially inserting or sending data back the other way. Now, the pigs help. Having the pigs there, it feels a lot more real. And live. And live oh. and, and organic. However, it doesn't change the fact that there's a super long way to go mm-hmm. in order to deliver any of the proposed stuff. But I feel the need to put it out here into the universe that almost everything starts that way. Yeah. As an idea. And execution is difficult. Making things is difficult. And in fact, I've actually got a little Twitter exchange here, which is the next tab over, over part of the same thing, where we have a user here. Before everyone gets too excited about the Elon Musk Neuralink demo, here's what Professor Andrew Jackson, professor of neural interfaces at Newcastle University says, this is solid engineering, but mediocre neuroscience. And you can go through and read it. Well, maybe I'll just do a quick piece of it. I don't think there was anything revolutionary in the presentation, but they are working through the engineering challenges of placing multiple electrodes into the brain. In terms of their technology, 1024 channels is not that impressive these days, but the electronics to relay them wirelessly is state-of-the-art, and the robotic implantation is nice. So he's saying that what they're working on is not as revolutionary as some might think because, well, for the most part, the average person is not up-to-date on the current neuroscience when it comes to implants. Mm. But, of course, you, you may recall faintly that you've seen someone control a cursor on a screen with their mind in the past. At the bottom of this uh, quote here, so in summary, I would say this is solid engineering but mediocre neuroscience. Finally, I think it is unfortunate that they are presenting their work in this way rather than publishing peer-reviewed papers that would allow their claims to be scrutinized. But I guess this is something that we will have to get used to as neural interfaces move from the academic to the commercial sector. Okay, so here's a key, Will. It's all fine and dandy to be on the academic side and have these very high standards and live in the peer-reviewed world and all the rest of it. But... Ultimately, that world relies on funding of some kind. Mm -hmm. You need people interested at some point is what I'm trying to say. I mean, part of the presentation there was actually hiring people. Exactly. And how do you hire people and how do you secure funding unless there's promise, eventual commercial promise. That it's sellable. At some point. Yeah. It doesn't have to be immediately, but at some point. Otherwise, it remains niche and it remains small. But once you put something in somebody's pocket, the average person, then we see this, the pace of things improve vastly because now you can sell it. And if you can sell it, you can hire. And if you can hire talent, you have 
more more people putting their minds together into one particular goal. Mm. Now I understand. I feel the apprehension, and I I can also understand why a guy like this, a neuroscientist, or better yet, the professor of neural interfaces, would feel a little bit, you know, he looks at it, Will, and he says, I've been working on this stuff for years. For a decade, I've been working on this stuff. And then Mr. Elon comes along, Mr. Famous, Mr. Famous guy, and uh, and he's the neural interface guy now all of a sudden? I've been here for decades. No one even said my name. Yeah. So I get that too. And there's two sides to it. There's always two sides to it. But one thing Elon has done, has done, and I do not think you can dispute this, is he has brought attention to the sciences. He brought attention to space. Now this, uh, AI in terms of self-driving vehicles, it's gotten people interested because it is marketable and because he does push the agenda. He pushes it forward. Mm-hmm. Can that be risky? Absolutely. Absolutely, it could be risky, but it appears to be powerful. Powerful in the sense that it can kind of rapidly increase, whether for for better or for worse, it can rapidly increase our progression towards something by generating the hype necessary to gather the funds necessary to hire the talent necessary to keep the work going. Elon's the one to do it. He's the guy. Well, it says you with the boring company handle. There you go. Anyway, he says, here's Elon's response. It is unfortunately common for many in academia to overweight the value of ideas and underweight bringing them to fruition. For example, the idea of going to the moon is trivial, but going to the moon is hard. He once again is trying to trying to say, yeah, of course this is going to be hard to do. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I noticed. It's going to be hard to do. And we're going to learn a lot along the way. Anyway, what can I say? I don't even know if it's good or bad in the long term, Like, right? There's so much, anytime you're taking a leap, anytime you're taking a risk, I know there's going to be comments on this video right here that will say, is this what we want for humanity, hmm. right? Not everybody's even going to be on the same page about that. So I'm speaking, I think, more big picture on trying to achieve something in general, mm-hmm. big picture on trying to make something viable to get people interested, to therefore be able to gather the resources necessary to build something, whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. whether you agree with this or not. And let's be honest, Will, maybe the commercialization and the long-term application of something like this, you may have a conversation about ethics and whatever else, but in the short term, with that focus on treatment, if it's, it's able to achieve this for people who are in great need, that's going to do wonders for the conversation going forward, which is likely why you would target that first if you were thinking about marketing. And that's really the part, that's the area when it comes to Elon Musk and and Elon Musk analysis that goes overlooked that like without having a marketing piece, without having a voice, that gets the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes those in academia or, or neuroscientists or... I mean, I'm not going to paint with a with a with a wide brush and say that everybody f- is exactly this, but marketing not always an area of expertise that comes along with, say, for example, engineering experts, science right. experts, scientists, neuroscientists, or professors of neural interfaces at Newcastle University, mm. right? 
Walmart and Microsoft stocks are falling because, believed to be because, partially about some new export rules coming out of China, apparently, that may influence or impact a potential TikTok deal. TikTok deal, we talked about a number of different potential suitors. They could spend $20 billion. You were telling me today about Triller potentially making a move. They're in the mix. Walmart was supposed to team up with uh, Microsoft. Oracle was in the mix. We had uh, Sequoia, some of the investors in ByteDance, in the mix. Twitter was barely in the mix, it seemed, for about five minutes. But it kept coming back to Microsoft as being... A the potential home, a potential home for TikTok. But then Friday, China unveils these new export restrictions covering such computing and data processing technologies as text analysis, content recommendation, speech modeling, and voice recognition, saying technologies on the list can't be exported without a license from local commerce authorities. Now, some believe this is directly targeted at the potential for a TikTok deal, suggesting that TikTok's technologies potentially its algorithm and and different software behaviors, whatever intellectual property exists there, that potentially that can't even be exported without the approval of the Chinese government or at least a license being granted that you can go ahead and transport, transport that. Hmm. So, of course, investors that were feeling uh, very confident or or at least positive about the potential for a Microsoft deal, they get a bit nervous. They say, damn, I threw all this money over here. This might not go down. This could have been good for Microsoft. Could have been an extra revenue stream or Walmart for that matter. So they jump out. And then others say, it's still going to happen. Some say, look, the time is ticking. There's going to be a deal done because otherwise you go to zero, mm -hmm. right? Just a quick refresh. ByteDance already makes a domestic product of TikTok in China called Douyin. Mm -hmm. they, they, TikTok as a business is an export product. Yep. Because they got something else that they call it locally. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how the, the business backend works, but that the part that they were trying to sell was only the export part. Mm -hmm. uh, um, US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. Mm -hmm. we're, we're in that mix. English-speaking, Western, whatever. You want to call it. So these export restrictions, the question is, were these going to happen anyways, or is this just uh, some nice little timing right here? Many believe that it can't just be a coincidence. Many believe. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. But many believe it can't be a coincidence, and that this is the aim here is to put a pause on the potential acquisition by an American firm because maybe, politically speaking, that's not such a good look for the Chinese government. I don't know. Mm-hmm. These are just suggestions and speculation, which is what I kind of do and what the people expect. And of course, Willie Do, you're an expert at this point. You've seen it all happen many times. No. And it's a messy business right now, TikTok. I mean, they're trying to sue the Trump administration. Correct. And which is a tough, you sue the president. I mean, it's pretty tough. Yeah. And they have 30 days left for this buyout. That's and, right. Yeah. Now you know there's being a there's a push being made from from these various American firms and for sure they're going to have a little bit of pull but ultimately if the Chinese government says no you cannot export this you are a company here they can kind of pull the same thing on their end 
that's happening on the U.S. end and say, this cannot be exported. Now, the difference, as I said to you, is then then the value, at least of that sub-brand TikTok, it, maybe it doesn't go to zero, but it dips substantially having lost India, yep. the United States, presumably Canada, and all these markets that they aim to continue to sell it in, sell the ads associated with the content. Mm -hmm. So if also, if you're the Chinese government, you might say, well, here we got 20 billion on the table coming into this nation, 20, 30, 50 billion, whatever it ends up being. Maybe we should t take something instead of nothing. So what, but then again, what's 20, 30 billion in the scope of geopolitics yes. and, right. and all the rest of it? It may be more important to not look like you adjusted mm -hmm. on behalf of a leader somewhere else who you're in a dispute with. Mm -hmm. So anyways, uh, for the time being, it looks like it's on pause, but otherwise there's similar reports saying a deal could be done in the next two days. Yeah. So we got to wait and see. Uh, speaking of a deal being done, like done done, Huawei has pulled out of its oldest sports sponsorship relationship with a, a really famous Australian rugby league team. I, I'm, I didn't know about them. I don't watch all that much rugby, but I understand rugby's a big deal, uh, Will, in yes. Australia. Have you ever been to Australia? I have, actually. Sydney. I, I've never been. So did you take in any rugby then? No. Oh. Uh, I was in uh, Sydney. Yeah. And no, no rugby. To no rugby for there. you. Any rugby, maybe some rugby jerseys you saw on the people. Probably, you, yeah. Yeah, you probably yeah. did. This team, Canberra Raiders, probably not saying that right. Uh, they had a deal with Huawei for nine years, and Huawei said, look, we can't do it anymore. We're banned from the, from the networks. We're getting all kinds of problems from the local government. Hmm. Nobody's into it. And what are we doing plastering the logo on the shirts? People can't, you know, right. we can't do business here. What's the point in spending all this money? I'm sure that's what the internal conversations were about. Chinese telecom, telecom giant Huawei announced on Monday it is ending its oldest major sporting sponsorship deal in the world when it ends its contract with Australian rugby league team Canberra Raiders after nine years blaming a, quotations, continued Negative business environment. Now, Australia barred Huawei a while ago, actually. This surprised me how, how long there's been a kind of ongoing issue. In fact, Huawei's de decision to sponsor the team back in 2012 came months after the government banned the company on security grounds from involvement in the rollout of Australia's broadband network in 2011. How long has this been going on for? And a lot of people think this is U.S. only, by the way. That the Huawei beef, and I don't blame you, there's been so much press about it, specifically Trump's impression and all the rest of it. But this has been a global thing for a while now, mm. and it's multifaceted. So Australia was already restricting Huawei from its networks back in 2011, at which point Huawei goes ahead and sponsors a really high-profile sports team in order to try to you know, potentially change the sentiment mm -hmm. and... Uh, turn around the public opinion about whether or not they should be able to sell to those uh, to those telcos for the expansion of that network. Mm -hmm. Obviously, here we are almost 10 years later and it didn't work. Oh. Almost 10 years later and they got to pull out completely. We have a quote here from uh, Jeremy Mitchell, Australia's chief corporate affairs officer for Huawei. Even after the Turnbull government banned us from 5G, we managed to find the resources to continue the sponsorship. But we just can't financially support it any longer. 
So I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I don't need to read into that too much further. This is pretty obvious stuff. You can't do business there or you have a limited facet, a limited ability to do business there. These sponsorships begin to make a little bit less sense. And I was bringing up the one, because I think Canada just also just banned Huawei from our networks. Is that true? Did I read that? It's funny, here we are sitting in Canada and somehow I missed that story. But it just seems so impending. Oh, must ban, that's August 7th. Maybe click the news heading there on uh, Google. There have been calls to ban. I don't know if it's officially done here in Canada yet, but apparently it's on the table and we've been having this increasing Huawei sponsorship on the local sports as well, mm -hmm. on a hockey night yep. in Canada and stuff like this. So it has been an angle for Huawei to try to build sentiment with the customer base, which may or may, which they would believe would or wouldn't have a positive impact on their continued ability to do business. But it turns out the plan may, may not work after all in a number of places, including, well, to get it started, places like Australia. Apple says App Store appeals process is now live so developers can start challenging decisions. <clears throat> we have the Fortnite stuff. We have the Hey email client. We have the Facebook stuff and the Microsoft stuff. There's so many different groups. And we have the indie or smaller developers who have had issue with Apple prior to all of this. And we're even had all kinds of comments about Apple's policies leading up to WWDC, which was a while back before any of the high-profile stuff with Epic and all that took place. Mm. Uh, at that time, Apple was already considering making changes to their appeals process. Mm. Not necessarily their policy. I guess the appeals process is part of the policy, but making it easier for appeals to take place. And those changes actually just recently went live. So they were revealed at WWDC in June, but they're live now. And this means developers can challenge Apple over whether their app is in fact violating one of its guidelines. Apple also says developers can suggest changes to the App Store guidelines through a form submission in its online developer portal. So Apple uh, attempting to receive suggestions, negative feedback, Suggestions about not just, say, a denial, but also whether or not a policy should exist that led to the denial mm -hmm. and, and various challenges. Like I read recently about a VPN company who successfully uh, appealed a decision by Apple, even though they, but it, it looks like they weren't necessarily violating policies in the first place. Mm -hmm. Apple just has this really restrictive approval process. Right. Sometimes companies really don't even know, or developers, especially small-time developers, they don't know this thing keeps getting, I can't get my app approved. And mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit of a guessing game from time to time. And I suppose that Apple's working towards some greater level of transparency at a time where that would be very important, mm -hmm. where the press hasn't been all that positive when it comes to developer relationships with the App Store. Mm -hmm. So... They were able to actually sort things out with the Hey email app, which is from the developer base camp. And, but that kind of happened right before everything blew up with Epic and the rest of it. The compromise between Basecamp and iOS was that Basecamp would add dummy accounts to the iOS app, allowing customers to sign up 
and then transition to a paid account later on the web. So they had a kind of stopgap because the whole thing's been around payments. If you ever want to acquire a customer inside of iOS and then later get them to pay elsewhere, Apple's not going to like it. So you can expect now with this new App Store appeals process that they're going to get an absolute flow mm-hmm. of requests from developers looking for some different treatment than what has currently existed within Apple's terms and plenty of challenges to those actual terms. Now, the good thing here is that Apple can hear directly from the developers Mm -hmm. and say, we had 1,000 requests to change this particular policy. Mm -hmm. And now they've got some real data where they can maybe have a better recognition of the exact impact that they're having on developers or where uh, developers are failing. Ultimately, if developers fail, and I know people saying, okay, Apple is so huge, this is impossible. But if developers fail over and over again, and then they don't develop right. that next cool app, eventually somebody suffers, mm-hmm. right? Everybody wants the best experience and the best, best product, and Apple will even come out and say it. But if the policies are restrictive to the point where people aren't attempting to build these companies and brands and cool apps and all the rest of it, then all of a sudden it can head the other direction. I'm not suggesting it's there yet, but I'm saying it is a possibility. So So this is a good step. Well, it's a way... Apple's listening. Absolutely. There's there's at least some level of dialogue now. I'm sure if you talk to uh, Sweeney from Epic, he'd say, this is nothing. This Mm -hmm. is lip service. Mm -hmm. So it is Apple pretending that they're listening. I mean, that's what he would say. Yes. But ultimately... I think for the small-time developer, at least they got something going on. So, iPhone 12 to come in dark blue color option. We heard about this rumor previously. Uh, Wildly popular midnight green from the previous model iPhone 11. And the thinking was that Apple, well, for a while, the thinking's been that Apple would do this midnight blue color. We have a new report here from Digitimes claiming that the dark blue iPhone color will be available for the first time on this next generation iPhone 12. Some other uh, colors being potentially suggested in another rumor, light blue, violet, light orange, among others. What color are you looking for here, Will? I really like the green from uh, the midnight green. Yeah. Yeah. I actually watched a little short film. I don't remember if Apple put it out or someone else about the, the Japanese company responsible for the pigment in that particular green because there's very specific requirements and demands. When Apple chooses a color, you're gonna need a ton of it. And they also had some pretty strict environmental requirements on how you can manufacture this pigment. Mm. Maybe you're not gonna find it, but it's, it was a really cool video. Somebody will find it and maybe link it. But yeah, I think blue is cool. I like the idea of them having a new color with each model. Also, also identified in this report is that and this is not really a surprise, expectation is that Apple is going to uh, have a reduction in shipments compared for the iPhone 12 compared to the same period last year for the iPhone 11, possibly a decline of around 5 million units. The target within this rumor, 63 to 68 million units in the second half of this year. Many reasons why the global economy obviously delays, obviously, when it comes to securing the parts necessary to build these things. Also, potentially apprehension for Chinese customers around what's happening with their software and the App Store and WeChat. And there's just, you're up against a lot mm-hmm. right now in 2020. So I, I can believe that you could see a reduction in shipments. However, maybe the dark blue can save the day. Mm-hmm. The dark blue iPhone. It's a nice color. 
It's a nice color. I agree with that. 12-inch MacBook returning in ARM form with 15 to 20-hour battery life. I don't know if you remember that there was a 12-inch MacBook. It wasn't that popular. Mm. Well, I say that without looking at the statistics, just anecdotally my life experience. You head to the Starbucks when you could head to the Starbucks. It's not a lot of 12-inch. Mm. You know I pay attention. When I'm in there, I can't help it. I'm like, what do you use? It always surprised me how the Surface products started to pop up more mm-hmm. in my life and around. And I, maybe college students can speak to this where they might, might have seen a few of those. But anyway, I'm always looking at people's laptops when I'm at the coffee shop, when I used to be at the coffee shop. And the 12-inch was a rarity. It was a small little laptop, kind of a stopgap. It was almost outdated so shortly after it came out. But it was very thin and light and super portable, which has always been an interesting thing to me, dating back to the original 12-inch PowerBook, which I owned one of the very first, if not the first, it was the first Apple laptop that I ever owned. Really? Yeah, really cool design on it, especially for the time. I mean, it looks blocky and dated by today's standards. That is, I did not have the titanium one. That's a 15-inch that you just clicked on. It would be that one, the G4 PowerBook in the top left corner. There you go. This thing was small. I remember the advertising campaign. Actually, you had Mini-Me from Austin Powers. Oh, right. And you had Yao Ming. Yao Ming, yeah. And Yao Ming had the 12-inch PowerBook, and Mini-Me had the 17-inch PowerBook, and they were on a flight, and it was like, whichever one floats your boat, whichever one suits you, and they had the huge guy with the small one and the small guy with the huge one. Mm -hmm. You see how that goes? Yeah, it's great advertising. So back in the day, wow, what a time. I ordered that. I was on, uh, I was on, is it a saying I was on top of the moon? Is that a saying? Did I just make top that up? Top of the world? Top of the world? I don't Why did I want to say top of the moon? Am I thinking about space? Maybe. Space travel? It still a- looks very clean. Anyway, I was on top of the moon Yeah. when I got that. Whether it's a saying or not, that's where I was. You could find me on the moon. You want to find me with my power book. And uh, so anyway, they never, they kept the 12-inch. They went back to the 12-inch form factor, but then it didn't, it didn't really, uh, it wasn't really all that successful, I guess because they discontinued it over a year ago. But it makes a lot of sense when they go to their own ARM chip, Will, because now you're really thinking about power efficiency and you're thinking about portability. I mean, look at this little guy I've got right here on the table, the Surface Duo. I mean, form factors, we're all thinking about it. We're thinking about thin and light. We're thinking about, uh, you know, a lack of heat. We're, we're, we're thinking about these sort of solid state units, no fan. Yes. Once you're in the ARM territory, it gets very exciting from that standpoint. Ultra portability, mm-hmm. even in your laptop. So you could imagine them doing a 12-inch ARM-based MacBook, no fans, super slim. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the moment with the original MacBook Air, mm-hmm. where everyone was like, is it in that envelope? Yeah. And People were chopping vegetables That's right. with the sharp edge. This could be yeah. even sharper and thinner, and the best part of it, is 15 to 20 hour battery life, which Mm -hmm. again, coming back to the portability side of things, all kinds of advantages to designing and controlling the thermals all the way from the processor down to the aluminum chassis. Mm -hmm. The whole thing top to bottom, you get a lot of control. So we can see the 12 inch come back. You know, I have to to pick it up and take a look if it Mm -hmm. does come to be but it's always confusing with apple because they really want you to be on this ipad with the keyboard attachment and everything else and then i'm always on a laptop no matter what Mm -hmm. and so well this one's for you then that one's for me all right well this is i'm going to take a little bit of a a a real turn with you here and you never expected Uh it when you saw the tmz headline i'm gonna take a real turn with you here 
Two little girls use Wi-Fi for school outside the Taco Bell. And they were trying to hop on the Wi-Fi to Taco Bell. And people were concerned that these girls were left there to try to do their homework. Oh. Okay. And this got me thinking. Now, it was a, it was a somewhat viral post by the looks of it. And a couple people were uh, upset that these girls didn't have the access they need to participate in school. Because obviously, depending on where you are, whether schools are open or not, California definitely not at the moment. Everything's gone online. And people don't have the same access. Mm -hmm. Never mind access, Will. What about the actual physical premises you occupy? Right. Do you even have a dining room table? Do you even have... Is everybody sharing a small space? Because try to get on the Zoom like that. Or a laptop. Or a laptop. Phone, really? Or connectivity, which you got to yep. pay the bill every month. And what are you going to cut if you're short on the funds or you're not working, which a lot of people are, are not working right now? You Maybe you cut the internet and you try to hop on the Wi-Fi wherever you can. And, mm. of course, it got me thinking, well, initially my brain went to Starlink where I was like, mm. you got the, you got the uh, satellite internet. Now, I know that's you're still going to have to pay money for that, so that doesn't really solve much. But then I went to the next place. And the Is next this, place... Uh, can I guess? Oh, wow. <laughs> Is I, this like a covert advertisement for Taco Bell? Is that what you're thinking? No, not at all. But I like where you're going. Okay, let's hear out, let's hear what you got. Well, I mean, like these kids who really want an internet connection. I mean, Taco Bell. There you go. You can grab a meal and uh, no, because get because it, it, in California you still can't even go into Taco Bell. That's why the girls are sitting outside. Oh, well, I mean, they can eventually. Order food. What's that? They can order food. Well, they can order food, but they're sitting... The reason the picture went viral is because they're just sitting on the pavement. And the Taco Bell employees came out like, why are you sitting on the pavement? That's true. Yeah, this this photo tells a lot. Yeah. So yeah. so anyway, what it got me... what it, what it, what The way it got me thinking, all right? And, the, and by the way, these girls have been identified and a lot of people came together and helped them out as mm. well afterwards. Mm. But what it got me thinking thinking about was education in general and how things have shifted online. And... You know, there's education funding. It's Maybe it's not what people want it to be depending on the district and area that you happen to be in. But right now, if people aren't going to schools, maybe there's a way to repurpose some of that funding so that there can be some level of connectivity. Because ultimately, right now, what is your access to the world if you're, I mean, these girls are what, like 12 years old? Their entire potential rests on that internet connection right now, and, and I guess a laptop. That's how they're interacting with their education completely. That's their, that's their access to the outside world, mm -hmm. outside of their own personal quarantine, whatever that happens to look like. Mm -hmm. And so you start to wonder if we, as a society, put some resources into education at all mm -hmm. and say, oh, there's going to be a premises here where everybody goes, and there's going to be a premises here where... We're going. They're going to. We're going to use tax dollars to employ teachers to teach kids. Then, in the world that we're in right now, wouldn't the version of that be to enable these kids to get online at least yes. at the bare minimum? Yes. Now I know things don't move that fast. You can't just start sending checks, and oh. you need to vote on things. And and I understand all that, but this is kind of a an interesting glimpse into our current situation and how families depend on those schools oh. as a, not just as a way to learn, but also as a place to be.
-hmm. during the day. Like, presumably... I mean, sitting on the floor, there's a notebook there with a pencil. I'm just saying, it's oh, an image. Man. It's really, It really is an image. And the Taco Bell employees like, what you guys doing here? Yeah. Now, I do feel the need to, to also put this out there, because I know we have a global audience, and I'm sure there's some people in some other country in the world that are saying, this is how I connect every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is, what you mean? I don't have... Yeah, this is normal for me. You know, and, and that's just me being aware of the global audience and the differences that exist and the disparity that exists. But mm -hmm. ultimately, like I said, I believe that there is, in California where this took place, there is funding that goes to the school. The school is shut down at the moment. I don't know if it's possible to act rapidly enough, but that connection, that's all you got right now. Mm -hmm. And so you would hope that there's some way in which uh, people that are in this situation have some sort of alternative means to, to get their schoolwork done. But shout out to these girls doing their work anyways, by the way. Yeah. Maybe they're 12, 13, uh, 10. I don't know what age they are. Their faces are covered, which I like as well. Mm -hmm. But they got the notebook on the sidewalk and they're getting it done. And their mom's not even there. And and that's kind of a... Well, shout out to them. Yeah, shout out. Uh, we have a leak here on a new GoPro Hero 9. I saw you reading about this earlier as well. GoPro's still doing it. They're trying to find, maintain their position in this whole thing. It's so difficult. You know, the action camera was a, well, GoPro put the action camera idea on the map and it is still an action camera, but cameras in general, increasingly, the market share has been gobbled up by smartphones that have continued to get better. And then smartphones even went ahead and got the wide-angle lens that the GoPro was famous for, and people started using that. Now, smartphones are not as rugged as the GoPro, and there's still plenty of applications where it's the best choice, but it's just harder to justify in the current landscape of things to spend $500 on a GoPro when your smartphone does a pretty good job part of the time, most of the time. But I've looked at some relatively recent versions of the GoPro. I looked at the Hero 8, and... I'm amazed at some of the stuff they're doing with stabilization. They're now talking about the next generation potentially going up to 5K. Anyway, they're hanging in there. Mm -hmm. All right? And uh, this next version appears to uh, point or indicate to us what their strategy might be going forward. There is a relatively healthy vlogger community going on on YouTube. <laughs> There's vloggers. And I know Sony, they have sort of dominated that marketplace. They've recently came out with a vlogging, I think the ZV, ZV1, is that the name mm -hmm. of it? Targeting the tools that a vlogger would want to have on their, on their camera, including a flip around LCD display, a better microphone. And, and this is one area where it appears you can actually find something better than what your smartphone is capable of. Because if you want to have a screen on your smartphone, now you're on the front-facing camera, and those are never really that good. And certainly not if you're launching a YouTube channel. I'm not saying you can't, but you understand that's the target market for a product like the ZV-1. So GoPro might think, hey, we can have a piece of that if we want $500 from people. So here we have this Hero 9, and they've put a screen on the front. Mm. Not just that usual black and white or gray tone LCD that tells you, a little bit of information, but an actual color LCD, which presumably could give you a preview of what you're looking at, which is kind of a key characteristic mm -hmm. for a vlogger. So we'll have to wait and see. This is just a leak at the moment. But like I said, 
front facing display and potentially 5k maybe it'll be enough to convince some people to pick up a gopro uh the next version of gopro this is an interesting one i think you might have a point of view on this well huh? sony is going to make some of their exclusive first party titles available on pc now don't go any further i want you to tell me why they would do this uh market share maybe Go ahead. To uh, compete with Microsoft and their titles, right? Maybe to have, uh, I guess, yeah, just market share. Uh, imagine having, like, you know, Last of Us or God of War on PC. That would be awesome. I would totally buy a PC for, for that. Okay, you're wrong. No. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, maybe you're not wrong completely. I'm sure that that would play some sort of a role. But it's actually the opposite. They don't want you to buy a PC to play the game. Mm. They're going to reluctantly give you the title on PC much later in order to let you know what you missed out on by not having had a PlayStation. So early access? Almost like a, on like a tiered system. If they can make you a fan of a particular series because you don't have a PlayStation yet, but you're on PC, that you may invest in a PlayStation so next time around you get that title straight away. I see. Yeah, Appa apparently, they're sense. trying to sell the PlayStation brand as a whole. The game they're talking about, I never played it. Horizon Zero Dawn. Have you heard of it? I just got it on PC. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so that it's was a, a PlayStation title yeah, that's now available on Steam. Mm -hmm. How much did you pay for it? Gosh, I think it was like 60 or 70 bucks or something. Um, even though it's much later. Yeah, I'm going to have to check. Okay. Someone else bought it, but I was playing it. Someone bought it on your Steam? Yeah. How does that work? Do you have a shared Steam? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Is that legal? No. Oh, okay. A Eurogamer, as Eurogamer reports, confirmation of future PC ports was discovered in the company's 2020 corporate report. We will explore expanding our first-party titles to the PC platform in order to promote further growth in our profitability. Uh... I think it's important that we stay open to new ideas of how to introduce more people to PlayStation and show people maybe what they've been missing out on hmm. mm, by not having had a PlayStation. I see. You see, so it could be, I, think, I guess it's both things. You weren't completely wrong. Obviously, profitability is what every company operates on. Mm -hmm. But if it's even, it could be if you're a non-PlayStation gamer, you really enjoy this PlayStation gaming experience on PC with a PlayStation exclusive title then your potential profitability goes through the roof because you may then turn into a PSN subscriber, a PlayStation purchaser, mm -hmm. and buying the exclusives more uh, earlier. This is an older game, as I mentioned, but you could imagine it applying to other Sony exclusives that could be really big on PC at a later date. Mm. Games, uh, you're a fan of all these Sony exclusive games. Oh, yeah. Naughty Dog and I think Santa Monica Studios. Look at make you. Make God of War. It's great. Willie do. You know? Hyundai Motors unveils Ionic brand song with BTS. Uh, you're a big BTS guy. You Every time BTS is in trending, you have to tell me. You were like, look at this, 44 million views in five minutes. I was like, who? I was like, holy moly, how, does he, how do they do it? Yeah. Well, Wildly I'm popular. I'm interested in the, you know, the transfer of Korean culture to Absolutely. No, me America. too. Me too. I not, was just. Not, not BTS. What? 
not bts themselves i i don't really well bts is part of that part of the the culture culture. yeah Yeah. i I mean a big part of the culture maybe the biggest part of the culture i don't know i'm always tracking the difference black pink bts who's pulling the numbers i don't know Mm -hmm. i don't know who's bigger or whatever uh i think bts probably i'm just guessing they did the unboxing video people came at me on twitter when they did a i think it was a samsung unboxing video and they're like look bts lou they're better yeah. than you over here, and they're be- better than uh, you know. They're everywhere they go. It turn everything they touch. It turns to gold. Apparently, everyone yeah, loves yeah. BTS. I'm sure somebody doesn't love them, but it, certain times it appears everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. So this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys. That was another thing I was curious about when we were, when you made me watch the music video. I was like, how many are there? How many guys they got in this thing? Because they, they wasn't the Backstreet Boys. They only had like four. Five? They had five. Five, okay. Yeah. Well, man, you just keep going. What if it's 15? Well, there are Korean groups with uh, o- over 10. Over 10. Yeah. It's incredible. I don't know them by But you kind of do. Heart, but. Anyway, so they're now they're doing all the marketing. So shout out to them. They're signing deals left, right, and center. And I can't even, I can't even figure out how they all get along. I can't figure out how they sit down and go, yeah, we'll take that deal, not that one. We'll uh, we'll be at this event. We'll do a live performance here. It's seven guys. Do you think they make the decisions though? That's rude. How dare you? you know? Of course they do. They're BTS. Uh. They call the shots. Mm. Anyway, they got another deal, another big deal going on here. It was the unbox- unboxing video that they got, and I didn't get, and and they got instead of me. And now they got to deal with Hyundai Motors on, on the Ionic brand, which I want to look at those cars as well. But they did the official song. Yeah. And I didn't even know cars had official songs. Which you can download uh, for free on uh, the website. You didn't know cars had official songs with BTS? No. This is, is this the first ever? I don't know. The brand song, Ionic, I'm On It. That's the name of the song. Will be distributed on the Automaker's global website, 7 p.m. Monday. Believe it or not, that's when we're filming this. So it's all happening. It's all developing so rapidly. That's right here. The song will be downloaded on their global website, and the music video will be released on the YouTube channel, Hyundai's YouTube channel, at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. That's right here. That's well, the lyric video. Yeah. That's not the not official. The All right, official. give us. Can we play any of it? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you go listen to it for yourself. But anyway, you got uh, the official. Di- what do you think they paid for that? What did Hyundai pay for that? Uh, I mean, there's seven guys. They all got to get paid. 100 mil. Okay, not they did not pay 100 mil. You maniac. Quite a few mil. Quite a few mil. Sure. Quite a few mil. They would get one each. No. No? I don't think so. I don't think they got seven. Do you think they got seven mil? The brand song? I mean, look, I mean, first of all, there's probably way more to the package. So they would probably be ambassadors to this car brand for a while. So maybe. Go to events and stuff. Yeah, maybe if it's part of a bigger deal, you might be onto a it. But, yeah. All right, anyway, what, what the hell, what do we know, man? I would like to know. BTS, Ionic, somebody let us know. Uh, people, put your guesses down in the comments, whatever they were paid for this particular partnership. Anyway, video comes out on Wednesday. Or you know we're going to be here waiting. We'll, oh, give yeah. you the, we'll give you the feedback. We'll give you the reaction. So Shaquille O'Neal has said that the Tesla Model S is not Shaq friendly. He uh, also said, Elon, you want to make a big boy Tesla? That's his quote. Mm. He's looking for a big boy Tesla. I don't know if it's going to be the Cybertruck, though, because uh, Shaq, I believe, famously endorsed a different a different electronic truck brand, Nikola. I think he, was, he tweeted about the Badger. 
So I don't know what type of what type of big boy Tesla he's looking for, but he is a big he's a big boy. So he would need a big boy vehicle. Yeah, so this is him with the Badger. He tweeted about the Badger, I believe. What is his tweet? Uh, Nikola Motor Company just released the 906 horsepower electric truck. You know, I just reserved one for myself. Zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. Want one reservations, etc. So he has some relationship with Nikola Motors, but maybe the... I don't know how it's all going to map out with the spacing in the Cybertruck. Could that would that be big enough for a guy like Shaq? I mean, he's seven feet tall. You can watch the video there actually of him trying to get into the. His friend sort of sneaks a shot of him trying to get into the passenger seat, and he doesn't know at first he's being recorded. He's this is just a regular Model S, and you can see here it's very difficult to get into it. Oh yeah. I mean, the head is almost touching the sunroof, and the feet bare won't go in. Oh man. And in in a lot of cases, to be fair, if he wants to get into a sedan, he has to have a custom made with the the chair pushed back. Mm -hmm. But he said, "Look, I'm looking for a big boy Tesla." So, like I said, maybe this maybe this Cybertruck will solve his issues, or maybe he'll get one of the Badgers. He's apparently also been in touch with Rivian. Mm-hmm. He was present at Amazon's Re-Mars event in June 2019 where Rivian CEO RJ Scaringe showed Shaq an R1T pickup. So Shaq's on the lookout. He's looking for that next electric vehicle that'll fit him. And we'll see if any can deliver it straight out the gate with the stock version or if he's going to have to get some modifications on there to fit comfortably into any of them. But for right now... The Model S is not for Shaq. Uh, Pinterest. Have you ever used Pinterest, by the way? Yep. Every so often? Mm-hmm. Pinterest is the latest tech company that is making a, a sort of shift away from your traditional office spaces in the face of this particular lockdown, 2020 style. They're going to pay $89.5 million just to cancel a lease. Sheesh! Almost 100 mil just to cancel a lease for a new San Francisco office. Now, I understand the way this works. Well, you make a huge, they make a huge commitment. There may have been improvements as part of the commitment where an office building was going to do all kinds of things for them to be suitable for their massive workforce. They just say, forget it, man. They're saying, everybody's working from home. We're doing fine. It's the way it is now. They, they- cited coronavirus as well as to the reason why they can't follow through on the lease in San Francisco. As we analyze how our workplace will change in a post-COVID world, we're specifically rethinking where future employees could be based. A more distributed workforce will give us the opportunity to hire more people from a wider range of backgrounds and experiences. The company was planning to lease a 490,000 square foot office space, half a million square foot office space in a high rise, which was currently under Construction. Now, to put this in perspective for you, Will, a recent study found that 42% of the U.S. labor force now works remotely. 42%. Wow. Now, the reason that's important is because that's actually the majority because there's a lot of people who aren't working at all. Mm. In fact, 26% or sorry, 33% of the workforce isn't working at the moment. And 26% are the essential workers that are working on their business premises. I see. So the majority of the workforce is at home right now. 
working digitally. That's it. Oh. Like the girls at the Taco Bell with the mm. laptop, it's all they got and their internet connection. That's how the world is operating at the moment. It's how the United States is operating at the moment, 42%. So you have these tech giants companies. I mean, Pinterest isn't even as big as some of the other ones like Google and Apple and Facebook saying, we're going to pay $100 million just to get out of this deal because we don't see it making any sense. We don't imagine mm -hmm. anybody's even going to show up. Mm -hmm. Half a million square feet. This is, uh, I guess, for their new HQ. Yeah, it was going to be... Let's see here. The company, they operate a different site, which I think they're going to keep. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this must have been a new HQ at 500,000. It would be a whole campus, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. At half a million square feet. Is this the address? Yeah. 88 Blucks, Blucks Home High Rise is where this was going to be. So it would have been, I guess, a couple of floors a bunch of floors inside of this high rise in San Francisco. This, I mean, it's just what is going to happen to commercial real estate, retail real estate, all real estate and the future workforce. Where are they going to be? What's going to happen to productivity? How are things going to change? It's just another piece of substantial evidence that things are not going to look the same. Mm -hmm. This would have been part of a, to do a lease like that, Will, a $100 million lease, or it's $100 million to cancel it. So it was probably worth even more. Mm -hmm. You got to be looking at 10 years down the road at least. Right. I would say. So this showcases how long standing our changes are going to be in our lives mm -hmm. because of this lockdown, because of COVID. We're talking about maybe forever type of changes or at least decade long changes. Right. Including changes to the way that we work, obviously. And and the way that we shop because in the next story we have another report. 25% of U.S. malls are expected to shut within the next five years. Wow. That's that's one in four malls. Yeah. You have about 1,000 malls in the United States. And they're already, things are already really bad, right? Five years isn't going to do any better for them, presumably. There's been a lot of talk about what to do with these spaces. We talked about potentially turning them into uh, Living spaces. residential spaces. Yeah. We talked about how Amazon was looking into taking up some of that real estate in order to turn it into fulfillment centers, uh, fulfillment centers warehouse space. Yes. It turns out that's way harder, way harder than it sounds, oh. as you might imagine. And the biggest difficulty here is actually around zoning and the communities in which these malls exist. You see, retail, when you have a retail zoning, you pay a much higher, a much higher tax rate than if you have a warehouse, industrial. And so... If Amazon wants to go into a particular community and and have a fulfillment center or have another warehouse, the tax rate is going to have a really big impact on th their consideration over whether or not they should go inhabit um, a historically retail zoned location. Because that's going to be a ton of square feet and, and they're going to be taxed based on whatever that amount happens to be. And... They could just go across town to the to the industrial area over there and just put the thing there and pay the much lower tax rate. And these things take a long time to change if they wanted to say change zoning. It could be take a lot of time and it could be expensive. And the communities might not be all up for it because they're sitting there saying, "Well, I got this uh, retail tax rate going on here. Yeah, I don't want to rezone that thing. I want more retail to come in there. Even if the retail's not going to come, do they have the foresight to 
to realize that they should fast track some of these alternative operations so that the whole thing doesn't shut down. It's a lot of moving pieces, mm -hmm. a lot of moving parts and different people involved that have to approve of these types of things. So in the meantime, these malls are just going to fail and they're just going to shut down, mm -hmm. uh, presumably. And they have been shut down in many cases for an extended period of time, depending on where they're located. So we have to wait and see, obviously, how catastrophic this is going to be if the mall will ever make a comeback. But it appears a lot like our previous story with the with the commercial real estate, that retail real estate might, might be the same thing, where we could see decades long here, like massive changes that are permanent before people start flocking back to malls, if at all. Mm. I don't know about you, Will. I presume you haven't been to a mall in a very long time. No. No, not recently. And even if you did, it would, it would be hard to make it a habit again. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to adjust some of the things. You know how they say it takes 30 days to break a habit or 30 days to make a habit? Yeah. Is it 30 days or 90 days? Whatever it happens to be. Whatever that amount of time is, you just adapt to your new surroundings. And if you're going to build another one, it's going to take time again. And with this type of uh, real estate expenditure... It's going to be hard for people to hang on, for you right. to rebuild your habit all over again. And yeah. in many cases, there's plenty of evidence in this particular article. You have big, high-profile tenants just refusing to pay. They're just saying, I'm making no money. What do you want me to pay for? Mm -hmm. And they're getting kicked out, and there's no one to replace them on these enormous leases. Mm -hmm. So anyway, go. Uh, I guess go visit your mall while you still can, <laughs> if it's even open in your area. But be safe. All right, here's the la be safe if you do, yeah. Here's the last one, Will. We've covered these kind of stories in the past. You know, when you find the old McDonald's burger that's perfectly intact, no yeah. rotting, no mold, no nothing. So there was the famous story in Iceland where there was the camera on the burger yes. that never rotted. And I don't know how old that one was, but it was to commemorate the closing of the one McDonald's in Iceland, uh. which left at after the uh, economic, they had a recession, McDonald's left. And this guy saved one cheeseburger in his closet and put a camera on it. So anyway, every so often these stories pop up of the abandoned cheeseburger, which is you know, someone finds it under their bed or something and it hasn't, there's no mold on it and it looks similar to when it was purchased. Actually, it looks like the packaging in this case on the 10-year-old McDonald's, the packaging has suffered more than the actual French fries. Right, yeah. Anyway, I didn't realize that one is only 10 years old because this grandmother in this video shows off a 24-year-old McDonald's burger. 24 years old. And you can actually click the clip if you want. Semi-viral. It looks to have more than semi-viral. That's 500,000 likes. So I don't know how many views that is. A couple million. She's got a box in her closet. You can turn it up a bit. And it was advertising a NASCAR race in 1996. Now, she, she kept the bag that it came in so people didn't dispute the age of it. Fries first in the paper. So it, so it was deliberate. She yeah, she it saved it. Like no, no, no. She saved it. Don't ask me why she saved it. but Oh, she's touching it. Yeah. The bread has never molded. Wow, the bread is... Uh... The bread looks really great. There. <laughs> the patty's a bit dry, but it looks like a McDonald's again. patty. It's yeah, uh, it's incredible. Now, does it smell though? Do you ever wonder about? I doubt it. Look at her expression. I, I don't. Because usually, what you're smelling is the decomposition, right? Yeah. Usually, she, what you're smelling is the mold. What are you laughing at? She's right not uh, afraid of mold or anything. Well, there isn't any. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like, wow, like it's so uh, 
preserved. So, yeah, it's, so it's like a fossil or a. I, don't know, I guess it's a it's fossilized sort of. Twenty four years old. Anyway, this clip went viral. They always do every so often when this stuff emerges of the pristine McDonald's it hamburger. Keeps popping up here and there. It pops up here and there, and it becomes it seems to be a thing that gets passed around. There actually has at one time been a response from a McDonald's representative, and I don't remember which time this this was, but. Anne Christensen, director of field brand reputation for McDonald's, once said, in the right environment, our burgers, like most other foods, could decompose. But in order to decompose, you need certain conditions, specifically moisture. So her suggestion is that that, that was well-preserved because there was no moisture in there. It was uh, in a shoebox. And I know you're laughing and saying it still should have decomposed, but <laughs> it's kind of funny. She says, in the right circumstances, it yeah. could decompose. But usually, no, it lasts about a thousand years. The thing is, how long does that really last? Uh, if it made it 24 years looking like that, it probably can do a hundred years based on the way it looks right now, which is kind of incredible. It's an incredible thing to think about. Now, actually, it's a regular hamburger, no cheese, and she got no toppings, which may have helped the pres preservation. Oh, right. And I just noticed that right now. But anyway, she got the fries in there, the wrapper in the, in the original bag. It's kind of amazing. I don't know. How does it make you feel, Will? Does it? Are you worried about this at all? Does this? Is this a kind of a hmm, a fun thing, or does this concern you about eating the hamburger? It doesn't concern me personally. Right, right. I I'm a big fan of McDonald's. I do like it. Right. I enjoy it from time to time. Okay. Not, did you just edit yourself right there? Yeah. yeah okay. I did. You um, had to like change the phrasing a little bit. I mean. This is a cool experiment. I okay. like to see that kind of stuff. That's all it is. So it doesn't. But it doesn't really affect. It doesn't me. concern you. There's no. There's no bacteria. Nothing that that uh, tw twenty four years. The thing looks better than you do. I don't, I don't eat it enough to actually, you know, be affected by it. If right. I ate it every day, or maybe it's actually, uh, uh. it's, it's uh, what's the word when you never die? Um. Immortal? It's immortality becomes your immortality. The burger's immortal? That's right. Yeah. The more of these that you eat, the longer your life gets. Does it affect you? <laughs> no, not. I don't know. Not really. I think it's... I, it is... I feel the reason it goes viral every so often, though, is because people have a fear or people have an inkling that... that there's something about this particular food which is unnatural, let's say. Yeah. And that everyone knows if you just pulled a bun off the shelf, like real bread, you sliced it and you put ground beef on it and you left it in your closet, that would not be fun. Yes. Yeah. I think most people have a feeling or a thinking mm -hmm. that that would be the case. And then when that doesn't happen, they share the clip because they're like, wow, what is McDonald's doing? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's really all that uh, surprising that you would have preservatives or whatever else because they got to ship this stuff all over the place. Mm -hmm. and. And I don't think it's exclusive to McDonald's either. I think there's probably plenty of foods you might be surprised how well they... Right. I mean, I remember hearing about this when I was a kid and and you would say, hey, this thing's expired. Can I still have it? And then somebody would say, it has all that sugar in it, which preserves it. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like jam or something. Yep. And, and it would have a best before, but people would say, nah, you can still eat it. Something like this. And so is it the sugar? Because I know that's a sweet bun they got too. Oh, yeah. So I'm curious. Mostly I look at it because I'm curious, but it does anytime something gets passed around over and over again, there's usually some sort of uh human connection where you have a number of people who are skeptical or 
curious in the same way, mm-hmm. which is why the thing goes viral. So, and for health reasons, like I guess everything in moderation. Hey, man, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm with you on that. You don't want to be having these McDonald's hamburgers every day. You, uh, it's a treat. Mm-hmm. All right.